This time on the Awesome Cast, we talk to the lady in the anime tree who's seen everything. She's seen it all. This is the Awesome Cast. Hey folks, welcome back to the Awesome Cast, once again with our not-so-normal episodes. You can find those normal episodes at awesomecast.com. Check out our Index of Awesome. We've got a lot of good stuff. What we are talking about, though, is an interview we got to do with Samantha Inoue Hart, who is an animator and owns a production company and also is a voice actress and also apparently does gore makeup and whatever else she wants to do. Zombie extra on Planet Terror. She has done a lot of things, and it was a really, really interesting interview. She covers... I, I've never met anyone who has done so many different things in, in the anime industry. She's worn a lot of hats. <laughs> I, I'm pretty positive at some point she wore hats on top of hats. And But really, the hallmark is the very interesting question that was asked by not me. It's a question that no one ever asks anyone ever. And you'll know when you hear it. I just want you to imagine it's being said by Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters 2. Because, well, if you were here, you'd understand. But, besides that, listen, she knows a lot. Are here, once again, at Intact. With an absolutely astounding, my most looked forward to guest to talk to. Ah, uh, it's Sammy Inoue Hart. Hi, nice to meet ya. <laughs> so you are crazy busy with lots of things. You're probably the most varied of all the guests here at MTAC. What are some of the things that you do? Uh, I guess I could kind of go start from the beginning. I was an animator uh, since 97. Um, started in 2D classical animation, drawing paper with pencil and all that good stuff. And then um, moved into voice acting um, because one of the producers came into the studio. His name was Joel Sweeney. And he was like, wow, you have an annoying voice. You'd be perfect in anime. Um, so <laughs> I went in. Um, at that time, uh, ADV Films had two offices, one in Houston and one in, um, one in Austin. Houston and Austin. Um, and I went and auditioned over at the Austin office, and I got a role a couple weeks later, and I'd been doing voice acting ever since. And uh, But... Kind of like juggling at the same time in 97, because I started doing animation, um, I got sucked into working on my first live action acting role, which wasn't much acting. It was just looking very, very upset and kind of like, kind of, I, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> it was like, just act blase. And that was in office space. <laughs> and, um, 
I've been in a lot of Mike Judge movies. I was in Idiocracy, uh, Office Space, and um, got to work on uh, just some random projects here and there. You know, because uh, because of that, I got into some of the Troublemaker Studios films. Was in Sin City. Was in Grindhouse, uh, Planet Terror, and uh, Death Proof. And then I got sucked into, hey, you know how to horseback ride. You want to be in a movie? It's called Appaloosa. Hey, we're doing another film, Jonah Hex. Want to do stuff in there? Okay. <laughs> and then uh, from there, uh, somebody was like, hey, we need help doing some gore effects. Could you do that too? Um, I just never said no. So I guess I started to work on teeth. Uh, doing gore effects and, and a couple other movies too. So, yeah. And then you also have like a production company? Oh, yeah. Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. There are so many things that I do that sometimes I forget. Yeah, I, I started an animation studio in 2005 called uh, Psycho Studios because. Um, and actually, I was forced to open a studio because I got hired by Spike TV to do uh, to be an animation director on a series called Fresh Baked Video Games, and uh, for all the animated sequences. And so they were like, "Well, we were not going to work with you guys unless you come up with a studio name." So we came up with Psycho Studios, and then from there, I met um, a guy named Paul Alvarado Dykstra, who co-founded um, Ain't It Cool Inc., which is a uh, which is a, a really big, famous news, uh, movie news uh, website. And and we partnered up, and we did a pilot for Adult Swim for an animated uh, animate news uh, channel. And then um, from there, uh, we started Animatropolis, started working with all, all my connections in Japan, um, started doing co-productions with, with the Japanese animation studios. And so now... I am on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I am never not working. Um, and I don't think I could survive if I didn't work as much as I do. <laughs> so what are some of the current projects you're working on now? Um, well, right now, our, our big uh, project that we're working on with IDA Films is uh, is an animated adaption of Tad Williams' novel, uh, Tail Chaser Song, which is a... A fantasy novel. It was the first of its uh, kind, which is a all cat cast. I guess you could say um, it's like Lord of the Rings with cats. It's an epic adventure. Um, you follow a, a cat named Tail Chaser on on his journey to find a, a missing cat who just happened to be his love interest. And on his way out of our world, because he starts off as as a house cat. And uh, he travels out of our world and further into the world of cats. And it kind of turns into this, like, Alice in Wonderland sort of fantasy uh, adventure with gods and and uh, cats of monsters and, and things like that. It gets really crazy, and it's awesome. And, and we were like, well, only people that could really do this well would be the Japanese. <laughs> So, so we, is there a six-armed cat? No six-armed cat, but we do have um, some terrifying-looking looking ones. Uh, there's the Bone Guard, which is uh, which are cat monsters that are just basically made out of bones, and uh, there's the the Tooth Guard. 
they're kind of the warrior cat sort of thing. They have red claws, and they're, they're colored differently. They're bigger. Um, and then there's a, like, there's a, a cat, a firefoot, which is a cat god, and he gets engulfed in flames, and, uh, he, he's, uh, he, he can do magic. And then there's another one, Heart Eater, who kind of looks like Jabba the Hutt. Um, but he's got, you know, telekinesis coil, you know, so <laughs> he, he can, he can move things and, and, uh, he, I, I guess you could say he kind of reminds me of Darth Vader for a little bit. You know, it's like if somebody makes him angry, he can start strangling them with, with just his mind powers. He's on the side just throwing mice into his mouth. Yeah. yeah. He's, he, he's a scary look, looking character. That's so, weird. out of all the myriad things that, you know, the, the epic network that you have going on with your life, but it, so it all start with animation. Yes. So how how did what what led you to that? When I was living overseas, uh, I lived for my dad was in the military. We lived for a long time in in Naples, Italy, in the Philippines. We spent a lot of time in Japan because my most of my family's there. And so while overseas in Japan, I was always surrounded by anime, and I wasn't actually a big fan of it as a kid. I was a big fan of Disney. And so, from as early on as, as anyone can, uh, that I can remember, uh, you know, if anybody ever asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, one of the things that I would always, uh, say that I wanted to be was I wanted to take over the Disney company. Um, so I wanted to be an animator. Uh, but you know, of course, as a kid, you kind of bounce back and forth. You know, I wanted to go in, I wanted to be Indiana Jones and do archaeology for a while and discover dinosaurs. And I wanted to be an art historian so that way I can, I can go into the Sistine Chapel and help out with the cleaning. And, um, my first memory is actually of the Sistine Chapel. I had a bloody nose. Um, and I just remember walking into the Sistine Chapel, had a bloody nose, Everybody put me down on the ground, and then I was surrounded by all these nuns, and they were yelling in 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 this language that I had no idea what it was at the time. I, I was like, "What is this? What are they saying?" But they're screaming in Italian, and they're tossing all these handkerchiefs at me um, to staunch the the blood flow. But um, that's actually one of the reasons why I'm scared of nuns. <laughs> I see a nun, and I will run. <laughs> It's yeah. It's it's. I I my heart starts to beat faster. You know, it's it's that black and white habit, and I'm just like, <gasps> you know. But that's because I I was terrified the first time. <laughs> so Sister Act was just a horror movie to you then, huh? Yeah, I I, I couldn't watch that. <laughs> no amount of music would make me watch that movie. <laughs> I'm Tony Rollon with Electron Magazine, Electron Show. How you doing? Hi, nice to meet you. Chocobo. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Now, I'm going to ask you this interesting question, because I don't want to ask you all the questions that people always ask you and whatever, okay? Where do you channel Chocobo from? What happens in your heart and your mind to get that to come out? That's what I really want to know. Um, well, I, I, like, I was never really trained as an actor, per se, um, like, like I said, I was like literally just kind of shoved into it. Um, but when, when, 
when Final Fantasy uh, Unlimited was was at the Austin studio, they actually offered me the role of I, the little girl character, the main uh, girl character. And then I asked, I was like, oh, okay, cool, a little kid. I can do that. That's not a far stretch for me. Um, and then I asked what the show was, and they said it was Final Fantasy. And I was like, is is there a chocobo? And nobody in the studio knew anything about Final Fantasy. I was the only geek out little kid in the studio. And I was like, oh, my gosh, is there a chocobo? And they were like, well, yeah, there's a chocobo. It's a bird. And I was like, can I be the chocobo? And they were like, well, no, because you can't be two main characters. Um, and I was like, well, just give give my role to somebody else. I want to be the chocobo. And they were like, well, it, it's like $3,000 pay cut. Are you sure you want to be a chocobo? I'm like, yes, I want to be the chocobo. So from the very get-go, I was always very excited about that. And then they gave me all the all the other little monsters in the show and, and the cactars and, and whatnot. But when I watched the... When I watched the original Japanese language, um, you know, I already had this preconceived notion of, you know, it's like when, when chocobos make their sound, it's more like a quay sound. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I had always grown up listening to, to the video game. So hearing the anime version was was very different. The Japanese language, it was, it was more guttural sounding. It was a obvious male chocobo. Um, and so I had to come up with something that was between being super male sounding, but also keeping a little bit of that cute video game sound. So I kind of, that's, that's kind of how I, I, I got that voice. Um, I kind of did a, a mixture, but really... Did the it, director allow you to to seek out uh well well yeah i I was the only one that really knew anything about Final Fantasy at the time in the studio, <laughs> so um i I knew more they were actually relying on me to kind of be like, yeah, yeah, it sounds like that yeah. uh they were letting me have a lot of freedom um the only part that was was very hard for me was when I had to be every chocobo in a stampede and then coming up with, you know, you only see it for maybe about a minute in the show, but that was about six hours worth of work because I had to be every single chocobo. And it's not just like, you, you can't just go in and just be like, wow, wow, wow. You know, at random times, you actually have to pick a specific one, watch the video footage, and then as soon as uh, then they start it again, and then you try and match the mouth flaps of that specific chocobo. And so it's like, it's a lot of math. <laughs> so it's like, I'm sitting there, um, I'm like staring straight at the at the uh, TV screen, and I'm just like, and just kind of, just trying to, as the character opens his mouth, just try and, um, you know, if it if it's running and it's like going upward, then I'll actually move my body the same way, so that way it gets that running sound as it it's, as it's moving. There's another scene in, in Final Fantasy where um, the chocobo goes to this planet of cactars. And that was also <laughs> very tough for me because um, the the cactars uh, 
I'm basically acting against myself, and I'm fighting a cactar while I'm the chocobo, and that was that was tough. <laughs> but um, but again, I I just I mainly tried to keep it as as close to the video game sound as I could without without you know insulting the original animated version recording. Um, so there, there's that happy medium. If I if I made it sound too much like the the video game, then then it probably wouldn't have been as convincing of a, of a role. Because even though it doesn't have any words, it's still there is some acting involved in it. <laughs> so yeah. Just one one more quick question. Oh, what's, yeah. what's your favorite character that you've ever done? That I have ever played? Yeah. My most recent one that I really fell in love with was Isis from DC Universe Online, which is a MMO uh, video game for Sony. Um, I really liked her because when um, I when I started reading for her, they gave me um, access to the 52 comic. And when you read the whole 52, a large portion of 52 is about Adriana Tomas, who is Isis, Black Adam's wife. And then there was also um, a continuation of uh, 52 later on with Black Adam, where, he, you know, she dies a horrible, horrible death um, in the story. She, um, she gets killed by the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and Black Adam kind of just goes ballistic and, and tries to destroy Superman and Batman and all them. Um, and uh, so in the game, it takes place right after 52. And so I'm still at that very angry point in my life. <laughs> or undead, I guess you could say. I'm brought back t as a zombie. And um, I'm angry at the world. And so... In order to channel that, you have to read 52. You have to know her backstory. Um, you have to understand that um, at some point, you know, Felix Faust takes physical advantage of her when she's in this kind of zombie-like state. Uh, you know, bad things happen to this girl. She's sold as a slave to Black Adam, you know. Uh, he eventually woos her in 52, but, you know, then... She's a, she's this good girl. She makes this bad guy into an actual likable character um, as an anti-hero. You know, he, he actually starts to do good things. And then just so many bad things just keep happen, happening to her that you can't fault her for becoming an evil witch, I guess you could say. I'm trying not to swear. Um when she's brought back as a zombie. And so, you know, the goal is that she wants to become human again, but whether or not she can or not, it's still to be seen because they're still writing her stories. She's uh, So I've been keeping up a lot with, with what's been going on, reading the Teen Titans comic, because... Cause yeah, she's whoo, she she went loopy, <laughs> you know. So um, and she's she is a force of nature. Um, she can control, you know, she can control the growth of trees, plants, you know, the weather. She can, she's she is a goddess in in the sense of how much power she has. And when somebody has just you know been pushed to the point of going over the edge, you know. 
you know, she wants to come back, but whether or not she's able to, we don't know yet. So, um, acting out her roles are very emotional, um, you know, and it, it's uh, it's not a feeling that I have naturally. <laughs> you know, I can't really just sit there and be like, oh, let me get some some bitchiness out of my my Mary Poppins bag. I, you know, I it's really hard. You have to think about it. And, you have to empathize with the character. So, yeah, that, that's why I like her a lot. Well, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Maybe I'll get a drop from you after it runs over. Okay. So, Final Fantasy Unlimited was also it was a Gonzo production. Yes. And I know you've mentioned before here and there about, you know, you've worked with Gonzo before. Another, yes. what None of the, it's announced yet. We're, we're, uh, but if, if any of you guys go into my Facebook, you might notice that I might make, make a comment of, oh my gosh, those Gonzo guys, they're, they're driving me crazy or something like that. But yeah. So what is it like in, in the studio of any an- Japanese animation studio? Um, well, it's a lot different than the ones here in the U.S. Typically, a lot of the studios that, that I have worked at or have visited here in the U.S. Um, is definitely very male-dominated. So the first thing that you notice when you walk into, a, especially in the smaller studios, is the smell. Um, smells of old pizza. Pizza and Mountain Dew cans left and right. Um, the animators are not exactly the cleanliest people in the world. You know, there's sometimes, especially during crunch time, um, American animators will spend days at the studio and not leave to go home. And so it kind of starts to smell like a convention, you know, inside of a dance, dance revolution tournament, you know, in the heat of, you know, a an expert level song. It it reeks. Um, in Japan, it, they're more cleanlier over there, less space. We're kind of spoiled here in the U.S. It's like. A lot of times we'll have an animator and they might have their own office space. And, you know, they might have one more person sharing a, you know, an office space. Like this room right here would probably have like four or five animators here in the U.S. In Japan, this would be like Studio Hibari. Studio Hibari is a, is a studio in, in Narima and they would have like about 20 or so people in a room like this. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's spaces, you know, everything builds up in Japan. And so um, there's not a lot of space. And so everybody's kind of cramped together. The AC is always really cold. And so it's like all the animators have blankets wrapped around them to stay warm. Paper is everywhere. And here, in, and they use like some of the oldest equipment. Um, I've noticed a lot of uh, like computer keyboards from like five, ten years ago are still being used. Um, there's a few uh, few cubicles that might have like a Cintiq, but for the most part, it's like like the computers they they use them until they break. Yeah. And, and even then, it's like, we could still use this. And, you know, it, here in the U.S., 
most studios, as soon as they get a big project, the first thing that most studios do is, let's go buy antiques for everyone. And, you know, those are all, you know, 2,000, 2,400 per, per thing. And so it's just, it's just kind of puts things into perspective. Um, as an animator, now that I've been able to see things from both both ends of, of the world, um, I think that us we're a bit spoiled, you know. Um, in our studio, we used to have uh, regular breaks once every forty five minutes for every animator to play a video game or to just like relax and do something. Over there, it's just work, work, work. So it, it's it's very different. They're also more okay about smoking in their studios. <laughs> so, so which do you prefer for the work 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 or you want your 45 minutes to play a video game? Um, I personally like working with the Japanese more. Um, not because of the work 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 sort of mentality, but because they're more polite. Um, you know... Here, you know, if if I tell one of my animators like, "Wow, you're pretty rank right now. Um, you should probably go home and take a shower, maybe shave." You know, they're rude. <laughs> they're, they're just gonna be like, "No," <laughs> you know, or, or something like that to me. Um, they're the also I hear a lot more complaining from animators here, where it's like, I'll be like, "Okay, the deadline is on this day." You know, it's like, uh, it's kind of like. Uh, giving an assignment to a high school kid. You know, here's your book report. Your book report's due in two weeks. You know, an animator here might hold off on doing anything for one week and then scramble and, and try and finish uh, by the second week. Whereas in Japan, they just work straight through the entire two weeks. Um, so, you know, it's... Sometimes time management skills here in the U.S. isn't exactly our best forte. <laughs> so, yeah. Outside of your many, many jobs, uh, what other interests do you have? I really enjoy art history. Um, eventually, if I ever have time, I would like to go and get a master's in art history. Um, I specifically love uh, the Renaissance uh, the late Quattrocento, to be specific. Um, I enjoy, you know, like I mentioned, the first memory that I had was of the Sistine Chapel. Um, I'm really fascinated by all the, all the, you know, like I, I was able to go see Pompeii as they were still, I mean, they're still excavating to this day, but I was able to watch, um, you know, it's like, watch things happening um, in the 80s. And you'd go to Pompeii and there were these holes in the ground. And um, I remember seeing them pouring plaster down these holes. And, I, and as a kid, I had no idea what that was. And then a week later, we'd go back and they would dig up the hole and they would pull out this plaster mold and it would be of a person who had died, you know, and they're in this, like, you know, crouched kind of fetal position sometimes, and, you know, being able to see, you know, the past clearly like that, like, you know, doing archaeological 
work and looking at some of the um, looking at how things progress. You know, art history is constantly changing. You know, um, you know, seeing like like when when the movie The Da Vinci Code came out, <laughs> I was I was like, wow, that's um. That's not really hitting all the, the main things, but, you know, they're kind of getting the basic gist of it. But, you know, it's like, it is true to, to a point where it's like, if you look at any art piece, there's hidden messages in each art piece. And just being able to figure out what, you know, this symbol is. What does this conch shell mean? What what does this, you know, what is this Cupid doing here? And, you know, what what is... What's going on? What is the meaning of, of this bush? You know, being able to decipher all of these things in, in art, it's really fascinating. Um, I grew up watching Sister Wendy, which ironically enough scared me because she was a nun, but at the same time, you know, it's like she explained things in such a way that was just fascinating. I think it was her face. The way she talked and the way that she kind of almost... You can tell she had a crush on Jesus, because she'd be, like, talking about, you know, it's like, Oh, and here, we're looking at, just look at his muscles. Oh, those muscles, you know, it's like, and it's just kind of like, oh, oh, my gosh, you know, and, and I'm just kind of starting to go through puberty, and I'm starting to be like, yeah, Jesus is pretty ripped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm with you there, sister. You know, and just kind of watching that, um, you know, really, really inspired me. Um, you know, my dad was really big into making me go to museums, and I'm probably one of the boringest persons you'll ever meet. Like, because. We'd go into a museum and I'd, I'd sit there and I'd explain everything about every statue, every every painting in there, and I'd tell the story. And uh, one person said, "Okay, go ahead, Uncle Ryan, let's tell your story." And um, so I'll, I'll explain everything that goes on in, in every painting. I just I, I love it. I can't talk a much more. I yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm dorking out. So. Does- <laughs> So all the stuff about the painting and stuff, do you, are there chances that you get to bring all this into your work? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, every once in a while, uh, what'll happen is, um, you know, if, if, if we're doing an animation and it's a period piece per se, uh, a lot of times, um, a, a studio might actually ask me to come in and look at the costuming look at the technology that's being depicted and I'll sit there and I'll say it's like wait no no, no you can't use that because that was that didn't exist back then and, you know it's like it would be more like this or, or you know no you know the clothing would not be like that you know that wasn't that didn't come until 10 years later and um so so I like to watch things that that have like Samurai X, good example. I worked on that as a voice actor, but I also got to help train a lot of the voice actors on how to pronounce the, the names and the words and the places and explained about like the history of the Meiji era to a lot of the voice actors so that way they can actually understand what the story is about and why there's so much you know uh, drama going on in, in that show. Um, I, I've, I've been able to... Uh, 
you know, just being able to explain things makes the actor understand more about what's going on so that way they can perform better for that show. Um, I, I get asked uh, to consult a lot. <laughs> um, sometimes, you know, things like color or, you know, art techniques that were developed in the Renaissance will incorporate that into our schemes, like for Tail Chaser song. Uh, you know, we're very specific about, you know, um, our character is orange. You know, the complementary color of orange, you know, would, would be a mixture of different blues and purples and cooler colors. You'd want cooler colors so that way the character pops out more um, for the audience. And so, um, so there's certain scenes uh that we would be very deliberate in our decisions on you know whether it's color line quality things like that and i get that information because of my knowledge in the art history realm but you know i'm not an expert in art history i'm still learning i'm always learning but um and uh, i hope to never stop learning but uh but yeah you know i, I try and use what i what i know and if I don't know something, I'll always refer to somebody who does know. Who is the person that might have had the biggest impact on, on your career? I know there's a lot of careers here, so you hear me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad always said that when you go in um, into any sort of job, to never turn anything down just because I don't know what what's going to happen um and i i really took that to heart a lot of the jobs that i've been able to do has been because i don't say no it's kind of like the like the uh the cereal commercial hey mikey he'll eat anything you know it's like it's, i'm kind of the same way it's like oh just ask sammy she'll do anything um you know that that's I kind of developed a reputation for that, you know, so people would, would just come up to me and they'll be like, hey, I need to do this. Do you know how to do that? And I'll be like, well, no, but I'll do it. <laughs> you know, I'll learn. <laughs> and, you know, it's like uh, whether it's looking up tutorials on YouTube or grabbing somebody that does know how to do it or, you know, asking if they're willing to train me to do it, um, a different you know, within the entertainment industry, there's more of a willingness to train people if you exhibit the the desire. If you're just if if somebody comes up to you and says, "Hey, would you be willing to drive this car for this scene?" Um, there might be a stunt involved. You know, and if you sit there, you say no, then they're probably not ever going to ask you again. Whereas, you know, when they came up to me and they were like, hey, would you be willing to drive this car or there might be a flip somewhere? Yeah. I'll be like, sure. Is it safe? Yeah. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, it'll be safe. Okay. Count me in. And then so after doing that, you know, they start to ask you more. Can you do that again? Except this time doing this. And that that's how it it grows. (laughs) So the young young kids um, that have enjoyed the anime and the programs you've been a part of, mm-hmm. what works of art could you suggest that they see that would bring out that passion that 
came out in you for, for art and for our history? Um, I would definitely, if, if you're a big anime fan per se, I would definitely look at some of the ukiyo-e artists. Ukiyo-e is Japanese woodblock prints. Um, the influence of the style of the hair, the clothing, the amount of detail, um, highly influenced a lot of anime. And um, of the ukiyo-e artists that I would suggest, I would definitely suggest Hokusai Hiroshige uh, Utamaru for uh, his uh, Bijinga series, which is the, the courtesan uh, images that he came up with. Um, movies, like even TV shows, like watching, watching Thundercats uh, or watching The Last Unicorn, whenever you see water depicted, you can actually do a comparison of the water animation and look at the uh, ukiyo-e print, and it's almost exactly alike. Um, I would highly suggest, for anime again, uh, looking at uh, Art Nouveau artists, especially uh, Alphonse Marie Mucha. Some people pronounce it Mucha. <laughs> um, uh, he was very, uh, he's a, he was, he is kind of like, whenever you think of Nouveau, he's kind of like the first artist that comes to mind. But his artwork has, uh, whenever he depicts his female characters and they have long, luscious hair, it almost looks like spaghetti um, because it's so intricate. And you compare that to anime uh, characters with their long, luscious hair. And it's, it's very similar. Um, you know, he used a lot of hard-edged outlines uh, for all the contours of, of his characters that he would draw. And, and, um, and you look at the hard outlines of a lot of anime characters, and it's very similar. You can, you can tell right away that there is that influence there. Um, uh, for different... For different, uh, like, Disney movies, if you watch Sleeping Beauty and if you look at the backgrounds with the trees and the forests uh, in the Disney Sleeping Beauty, you might look at some of the, the late Quattrocento Renaissance artwork uh, where the backgrounds are always very high detail. And um, if you go to the Uffizi um, Museum and you see some of the, you know, it's like there's... There's a very famous, uh, the Medici's really patroned a lot of artwork. And, uh, but when you look at the backgrounds of those and you compare them to the backgrounds in Sleeping Beauty, it's almost a mirror copy. Um, the trees, the leaves, very similar patterns. Um, so, Really, there isn't one form of artwork to look at per se. To to um, when it comes to animation and, and influences, uh, but definitely, you know, just looking at, at art in general and having a general knowledge of you know, oh, that's mannerism or oh, that's impressionism. You know, just having a general knowledge will make things a little bit easier. If you had the opportunity to work with any animator, living or dead, who who would it be? Oh my! Um, 
I could take the easy route and say Hayao Miyazaki, but I don't want to go that route. I don't want to take the easy route. Um, I would really... <sighs> this is tough. This is a tough question. Um, I would really love to work with Windsor McKay. Windsor McKay is kind of like the grandfather of animation. Um, he's, he was one of the great pioneers. He, uh, he created the comic series, uh, Little Nemo of Slumberland. Um, he is the reason why, uh, animation is what it is today. Uh, my, one of my favorite ones that he did, uh, was the centaurs. The other one, uh, that I really enjoyed was watching, um, the sinking of the Lusitania which is a 12-minute short, and it's literally, you watch it, and it's almost, it, even though it's kind of propaganda-ish, um, the quality of the animation as you see this this luxurious ship sinking into the waters and seeing the people falling out and, and drowning, you know, he animated every little portion of this and the quality of the movements, everything is very smooth. There's a high frame rate. Um, the amount of detail is just insanely crazy. I mean, it's like Squidbillies or 12 ounce mouse doesn't hold a candle to the amount of detail that is involved in this. Um, you know, and and only somebody who's passionate enough would be able to animate a sinking ship, you know, that, that's 12 minutes of, of drawing a sinking ship is a bit excessive, you know, for most Americans, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's just me, he, he was amazing. <laughs> so, board games, we hear you like board games. I love board games, um, I'm a, I'm a big like, when it comes to board games, uh, you know, if you go out with a bunch of people, you know, out to dinner or something like that, or you see families going out and just doing things, half of the people in a group will be on their cell phones, clicking away, texting with people, and there's no connection anymore. People have kind of become antisocial. Um to the point where it's almost awkward, you know, it's like, you know, that you can't, I'm really bad with my cell phone, I can't go anywhere without my cell phone, if you take away my cell phone, I would probably have a panic attack, you know, but I, I see that there is that problem, and families are kind of not being families anymore, and so, to me, how, you know, having a board game, getting a whole bunch of people together, it kind of, you know, put the cell phones away, you know, play a three-hour game of, of Arkham Asylum or, or something like that. Or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> play Zombie Side. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you, you kind of get, you, you kind of have more interaction with people. Also, um, you know, I, I have a, I have a hard time paying attention 
And so tabletop gaming allows me to focus on things and strategize. Um, you know, I'm obviously not the best player in the world, but, you know, I enjoy the camaraderie that, that it brings. Um, I used to play Magic the Gathering back in the early 90s. I stopped playing after Ice Ages. Um, but... Uh, because the counters, I couldn't understand the counters. They were starting to make things too confusing. And Fallen Empires, that that deck just sucked. Um, so I, so I stopped playing after that, and um, I didn't get back into tabletop gaming until just recently, actually. And um, and I found that when you're having a stressful day at work, and you just get in front of a tabletop game and you get into these stories, it just makes life so much more calm. You know, it's like you can, you can drop all of your your uh, your worries aside and just have fun, and I, I like that very much. So what's in your board game collection? Um, oh my. Well, I've got a huge zombie collection, so zombie dice, I've got... Uh, the three zombie sides, so there's the one with the jail, one with the mall, and the, and the regular one. Um, I've got uh, Dead Panic, but then I also have, like, Ticket to Ride, uh, you know, there's the Europe, there's the Asia, there's the, there's uh, India, and then there's um, Small World, uh, Smash Up, King of Tokyo, I've got, um, I've got I, I like the horror games a lot, so any of those horror games, I, I've got those. Uh, they take forever to play those, so we have to like plan in advance and be like, it's gonna, it's gonna say it's three hours, but we've got like four people who've never played this before, so that means it's gonna be six. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, we've, we just got, um, Oh, snap. I just forgot it. I told you guys just as I was walking in. Takenoko? Oh, yeah. I got Takenoko. I love Takenoko. Um, that one's one of my go-to games when I just don't want to think. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Oh, my, my collection is growing every, every couple of weeks. So, <laughs> um, there's a, um, it, it's really bad. Oh, oh, what is that? There's a backstabbing game, which is really fun. Um, I forgot the name of it. Oh, snap! Oh. There's Avalon, uh, Mice and Mystics. Um, that was fun. Um, oh, there's one that I just got over at Target. And everybody's been playing it. It's Pandemic. Got Pandemic. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's like I'm, I'm on the spot, so I'm like trying to remember, and I can't remember it all. But I have them all separated into sections. Um, one of my one of my favorite ones is an older one called Two Twenty One B Baker Street. Um, oh, wow, that one is like Clue, but on crack. <laughs> so um, it, I mean, it's like 
clue, you know, it's a Colonel Mustard in the library with a cattle stick, you know, no, it, it's it's a little bit more drawn out than that, it's like, it came out in the 70s, uh, yeah, the, the box is ancient, it is so old, and you look at it and you're just like, nobody ever wants to play it, but when you do play it, people start to yell at each other, and you get nerd rage, and you're just like, no, you know, um, uh, there's nuclear escalation, that one's fun. Um, and then Acquire. Uh, have you ever played Acquire? Acquire is like stock market sort of game where it's like you have to build companies and then you have to collapse companies and companies absorb into another companies. And it, it, it's, it's addictive. It's addictive. And so you have to know math and you have to figure out you know, how many stocks did that guy buy and how many did he buy of that same stock and who needs to become majority shareholder and, it's a it's a lot of fun. I'm I'm yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Any questions? Yes, and this is well. You're gonna have a variety to choose from, but uh, what project that you worked on would most benefit from the addition of a giant robot? Darn it! There's one project I can't I can't announce it yet. Uh, but it has a a ton of. Giant robots. Well, well that, that did not originally have giant robots. Oh, okay. Let's go then. Mm, if there was a giant robot, I think that Planet Terror Grindhouse would have really benefited with a giant <laughs> robot. Um, I'll do that. Yeah. You can't go wrong with zombies and a giant robot. <laughs> that make it really easy to step on the zombies. Yes. Yeah. With, with the giant robot. But not on me. I was a zombie. I don't want to be stepped on. Well, what if... I just want to hug you with my teeth. <laughs> I'll accept that. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so, um, if there was any sort of, like, final message you want to send out to the people of the internet, or whoever happens to be listening, or reading, or watching, or what have you, what would that message be? Um... Yeah, and I'm only saying this because I'm. I, I also teach. Um, I used to teach at, at several colleges, and uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not that much older than, than a lot of the students that I teach. But you know, I, I learned how to write cursive, and and you know, it's like know my basic math, and know how to write a thesis paper, and know what a dangling participle is, and, and all that good stuff. Um, but I do notice that when I was teaching at several colleges that I ended up having to give up on giving written assignments because people forgot, apparently, from the time I graduated, people forgot how to write in cursive and how to write full sentences. Um, so my message <laughs> is to keep Getting an education, <laughs> don't you know? Just you know, stay in school, <laughs> learn how to write. <laughs> don't rely on Google or Wikipedia for any of your essays. Please don't. <laughs> don't copy from Wikipedia and turn that in as your book report. And don't be surprised if somebody like me gives you an F for that. Um, you know. I, I really like to push education. Um, I'm not the smartest tool, you know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed when it comes to smarts, 
but I definitely have noticed that, that you know, it's like, eh, you know, and, uh, you know, there, there is, uh, that problem is happening. It's, it's becoming prevalent. And, you know, as a, as a teacher, you know, being told you have to give a certain number of A's in, in a classroom and then, you know, when a whole entire classroom does not deserve an A. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's tough. It's very tough, and, and it is heartbreaking, which is the reason why I kind of stepped away from teaching. I got burnt out from it. Um, so don't burn out your teachers. <laughs> you know, uh, study, uh, learn stuff, because it will actually help out when you're script writing, when you're developing stories with the Japanese animation studio, when you are having to create a whole world, you know, the more you know, uh, the more you understand about science and math and, and history and all that stuff will only just help you. Um, so yeah, stay, stay in school. And, um, and when it comes to women in the animation industry, uh, don't, don't let those boys bully you. You know, get, get in the industry. I would like more women in the industry. Because animation studios here in the U.S., they smell bad. So we, we need more women to, to make these boys shave every once in a while. That would rock. <laughs> well, you have certainly rocked. Yay, thank you. So thank you for talking to us. And, yeah, thanks. Oh, thank you. I, this is my first MTAC. Oh, my gosh. This has been amazing. I, I really thank everyone for having me here. and um. I hope one day I might be able to come back. <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. This is a, this has been a great, a great blast. So, hey. well, this interview's been a great blast. So, once again, thank you for talking with us. Thank you, thank you for having me. So that was that was Sammy. A lot of fun and really informative. Again, this is the Awesome Cast, your podcast for thing awesome. Not our typical kind of episode, but if you want to check out more, please head out to the website, awesomecast.com, and check out our index of awesome. We've got way more interviews, regular episodes, all sorts of things for you to check out. And you can also send us emails, awesomecast at gmail.com, all complaints, podcast at chancebuffet.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at awesomecast, Tumblr, awesomecast, Facebook, awesomecast, or you can follow me at It's Basal Time. You can follow Kevin at Twitless underscore Kevin. We also have Charlie here, but he doesn't really use Twitter anymore, so it's kind of pointless. It's a dead medium. Tell that to Drew. Anyways, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 